Morning. So before I uh, get to the message this morning, um, I want to let you know that uh, Northwest is sending a group of uh, 13 people on a mission trip to Cookson Hills School in Oklahoma this week. Uh, we leave on Saturday morning, um, and uh, that group's going to be helping with a number of uh, projects and activities, things uh, going on in and around that school. Um, and so I want to make sure, uh, you know, that, that, that we as a, as a church, as a family, um, are together on this. Because yes, only 13 people are going, but Northwest is going. Uh, and so whether you're one of the 13 people going or whether you're staying here, um, this is uh, a ministry of Northwest Christian Church. And so um, if you're not physically going on the trip, I would love, I covet your prayers uh, for while you're there. Uh, if you could be praying for us and with us, that would be excellent. If you are one of the 13 people going on this trip, um, would you mind standing up real quick? Um, I'm, I'm one, I, I know they're not all here in the room, some of them are in uh, various other ministries. Um, oh good, just my wife then. <laughs> oh and Katie, oh she's in the booth, and Nancy in the overflow, okay good. So there's, there's, there's uh, four of us in the room at the moment. Um, there, there are a number of others uh, obviously that are in other areas right now. But um, as we start this morning, before we jump into the sermon, would you just join me in prayer uh, for this trip uh, in particular this weekend, that it would have uh, an impact uh, for God's kingdom. Um, Father, uh, you really work things in incredible ways, um, and uh, your timing is impeccable. Uh, you uh, certainly know what you're doing. And, and Father, um, I'm excited about this opportunity uh, to take a, a group from Northwest of, of all different ages, all different backgrounds, uh, that, that, we, that we can come together uh, to, to serve this ministry, um, th this mission that our church as a family has supported financially for many, many years. Um, it's very exciting. Uh, to, to, to be able to send a group um, to, to, to help in, uh, in a new way. Uh, and so God, I pray uh, for this group as they're gone. I pray for, the, I pray for our energy level. I pray uh, that you would be glorified in all the projects that we do and all the things that we say. I pray uh, that we would keep our tempers with one another in the heat uh, in, in Oklahoma. And, uh, and just above all, Lord, I pray that you would, you'd be glorified and that your kingdom would be served. Uh, thank you for the opportunity uh, and thank you for the support of this family. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, thanks. I, I have in my notes here, like, you guys can have a seat, but they clearly had a seat, like, as soon as they could. <laughs> so cool. Uh, I heard a story this week uh, about an old married couple who uh, noticed that their memory wasn't as good as it once was. Um, I'm sure that's not happened to anyone in, in, in here. Um, but, but to this couple, their memory wasn't as good as it used to be. And they were worried enough about it that they decided to see a doctor uh, about it and make sure that everything was okay. And the doctor said that they were fine, they were healthy, it was normal. Uh, and sometimes, uh, as people get older, that, that uh, it's a good idea for them to write notes to help them remember things. Um, I've recently started doing that myself, writing notes to help me remember things. And so that was the doctor's advice. They thought it was pretty good advice. Uh, and so they decided they would try it. Uh, when they got home, the wife asked her husband if he wouldn't mind going to the kitchen and uh, getting her a dish of ice cream. Uh, and she said, now make sure you write that down. And he said, I mean, honey, I'm not going to forget. It's the kitchen's just over there. I'll get you a dish of ice cream. That's, that's no problem. But she said, well, wait a minute, though. I love, I love strawberries. You know this. And I, I want to have some strawberries on my ice cream. Um, and so make sure you write that down. I want ice cream, but I also want strawberries. He said, well, that's easy. I, no problem. I can do that. I said, well, yeah, but we just bought that whipped cream 
and, and I really like whipped cream on the top. And that's, that's kind of getting to be a lot of things. So you better, you better write it down so, so you don't forget. And he said, honey, I think I'm capable of remembering a dish of ice cream with strawberries and whipped cream. I'll, I'll be right back. And so uh, he went into the kitchen and, and she could hear him like banging around in the kitchen and pots and pans were coming out and like stuff that just didn't sound like getting a bowl of ice cream. And about 15 minutes later, he, uh, he came out and, and handed her her plate of bacon and eggs. Um, and she looked at it with kind of a funny look on her face and she said, honey, I knew you should have written it down. You forgot my toast. I figured I'd try. Steve gets away with all these really cheesy jokes and you guys all laugh, so I figured I'd give it a shot and see if it worked. <laughs> Memory can be kind of tricky. Um, sometimes we, we don't remember. Sometimes we forget things. Sometimes we remember things in a different way than reality uh, that, that didn't actually go that way, but uh, we remember them differently. Uh, and if we're not careful, I think we can forget things that need to be remembered. Uh, there are things that need to be remembered. Um, some things you can forget and it won't do any harm, but there are things that need to be remembered. And tomorrow is Memorial Day. You, you, you saw the video, you're aware of this. This is a time that we set aside to remember. Uh, we set aside time to remember those who have died in the military in service to their country. And, and it's, not just, it's not just that we should remember the past. The way we remember is important. There are different ways to remember, and it's important that we remember in the right way. Some people dwell on the past. Uh, some people become, become fixated on the way things used to be. And they can't stop wishing that things would go back to the way they once were. And other people ignore the past completely and are just happy to live their lives and pretend like nothing nothing bad happened in the past. Uh, that nothing, and both of those things are, are mistakes. It's a mistake to dwell on the past and it's a mistake to ignore it. Because brave men and women gave their lives to, to guarantee our freedom and, and they would not want us to waste our freedom. See, fixating on the past and never moving forward is a waste of our freedom. Ignoring the past and pretending like it didn't happen is, is a, a quick way to lose our freedom and forget everything that came before. Um, Memorial Day can't just be an excuse to ignore the past and have a barbecue, but it shouldn't be dwe about dwelling on the past either. It has to be about honoring what has happened in our past. And the best way we can honor what has happened in the past is to live our lives with the freedom that we have for Jesus every day. When we can live our lives in freedom for the Lord, it is the best possible way to honor what's come before. And last Sunday, we looked at this story from the beginning of the book of Joshua where God had Joshua build a memorial. He had him build a memorial out of 12 big stones that they took right from the center of the Jordan River after they crossed the Jordan so that the people would never forget what God did for them that day, so that they would remember it forever. And today we're going to jump ahead to the very end of the book of Joshua. We're going to look at the, we looked at the beginning last week. We're going to look at the end today in Joshua chapter 24. Uh, and God, at the end of this story, sets up another memorial. So we're going to look at almost this whole chapter uh, in Joshua 24. Um, that's why it's not going to be on your screen because I didn't want to um, give anyone carpal tunnel to have to type the whole chapter in. But um, it's in Joshua 24. There's Bibles under your chairs if you want to follow along. Um, we're going to start in verse 1 and we're going to go most of the way through. 
Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, the leaders, the judges, and the officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, uh, lived beyond the, the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. When I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them before you, and you took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam, so he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites, but I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you, also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow, so I gave you a land on which you did not toil, and cities you did not build, and you live in them, and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Now... Fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord." Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord and serve other gods. It was the Lord, our God himself, who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from the land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. On that day, 
Joshua made a covenant for the people, and there at Shechem he reaffirmed for them the decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people, each to their inheritance. This is a memorial day for the people of Israel. This is a day for them to remember all that God has done for them. It's not a coincidence that it happens at Shechem. God chooses his places carefully. Uh, Shechem is the place where God first appeared to Abraham all the way back in early Genesis when when Abraham uh, entered the land of Canaan. Uh, And and God's history with Israel starts in this place. Uh, God God starts his relationship with Abraham and with Abraham's descendants here at Shechem, and it goes from there. And and God uh, goes through all of this history. He starts with Abraham, and, and he reminds the people of their history in the first person. God says, I took Abraham across the Euphrates. I gave him many descendants. I assigned the hill country to Esau while Jacob and his children went to Egypt. I sent Moses and Aaron. I afflicted Egypt. I brought you out. I gave you this land. I sent the hornet ahead of you. I destroyed your enemies. God did these things. This isn't isn't just a history lesson. This is a relationship. This is God saying, I've been there all along. As As you look back, every step of the way, I've been I've been with you. God could have brought up, in the course of all of this history, he could have brought up lots and lots of times when the people messed up. He could have brought up lots of times when the people failed on their end, but God doesn't do that. God just continually brings up time after time after time when he was there for his people. And the message is pretty clear. If God hadn't been there for his people all along, there really wouldn't be a people anymore. Uh, the, the, the nation of Israel exists because God uh, has been with them uh, the whole way. And the promised land is a gift. If anything is clear, this is clear. The people didn't do anything to earn it. They don't deserve it. Uh, the, the, throughout this whole, this whole passage that we just looked at, God a bunch of different times talks about things that he gave them. Uh, God, God says, uh, I gave, all the way back in, in verse 3, it says, God, God gave Abraham descendants. You know, Abraham was old, his, his wife was unable to have children, and yet uh, they, they had a son, Isaac. That God did that. God gave Abraham descendants. In verse 8, God gave Israel victory over the Amorites before they, they even came to the Jordan River. In verse 11, God gave his people more victory after they crossed the Jordan and and went up against Jericho and the other Canaanites. And in verse 13, God gave them a land, uh, a land with fields that they didn't plant, a land with cities that they didn't build, that that they were able to to walk right in and, and have everything that they would need. God did that. God gave them that. And it might not always be obvious in the moment, but looking back, it's impossible to miss how many times God has been there for them. You know, in the moment, it's easy to think, I did this, or look how great we are. But then when you look back, you realize, well, wait a minute, that was God all along. God did that. Uh, and And he's always been there. I think it's the same for us. I don't think it's any different. 
I think it's hard sometimes to see what God is doing right now in this moment in my life. Um, it, it can be frustrating. I'm going through a very difficult time, and where is God? Or, uh, or maybe I'm going through uh, great stuff. Maybe, maybe things are great in my life, and I'm, I, I'm, I don't, I'm the, the thing on my mind is not how good God is. It's, it's you know, look, look what I've done. Uh, my, my life is awesome. It's harder to see in the moment, but it's easier to see when you look back. It's easier to see looking into your past the times when God has been there for you. Because our past play a big part in, in who, who we become. Our, our past is a big part of, of who you are today. It's not everything. It's not everything. You're not doomed to, 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 to be, you know, whatever is dictated by your past. There are choices and decisions that all of us can make. Uh, the mistakes of your past don't have to define your future. Um, but your past impacts on you, and eventually, you might, you might try to ignore it, you might try to run away from, from it, but eventually, you have to make a choice. Eventually, your past takes you to this point of having to make a choice. What am I going to do from now on? This is how my life has been all the way to this point, and here I am at this point, and I'm facing a crossroads. What am I going to choose? Where am I going to go? What is next for me? You have a choice to make. And really, the choice comes down to, as, as Joshua 24 puts it, it's a choice about who you're going to serve. Uh, the old Bob Dylan song, you're going to have to serve somebody, right? Who will you serve? Um, this word for serve uh, is, is a Hebrew word, uh, abad, uh, A-B-A-D, transliterated. And this word shows up 16 times in Joshua chapter 24. Now, that's a lot. That's a lot for one word to show up in just one chapter. But that's not even the end of it. Seven of those 16 times are in two verses, verses 14 and 15, probably the most familiar verses of this whole chapter to us. It, verses 14 and 15, where, where Joshua is saying, now listen, fear the Lord and serve him. There it is, with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped. There it is again. They served, they worshipped. Uh, the, the, the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. There it is again. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. See, this begs the question, who will you serve? This is the question Joshua is posing to the people. Who will you serve? Looking back over your life, Looking back into your past, looking at everything that's happened in your life that has gotten you to, to this point, sitting in this chair this morning, who is worthy of your worship? Who is worthy of your obedience? Who is worth serving? As you look back through your life, who is worth serving. We learn in, in verse two at the very beginning of this chapter that Israel's ancestors served other gods. But the idolatry in their past doesn't have to define their future. God is giving them another chance. Um, even though their ancestors served other gods, they don't have to. They can make a different choice. God loves that. God loves giving us another chance. God loves giving us the opportunity to learn from our past and choose a better future. Choose for yourselves who you will serve. And the people insist, I love it, because they're like, 
ready to go. And Joshua's like, wait a second. But the people are happy. They insist, yeah, we will serve God. And Joshua doesn't, he like throws a wet blanket over, over their enthusiasm, doesn't let them off the hook that easily. He says, now, wait a second. I want you to understand what you're getting into. I think we make a mistake sometimes in the church when we make it too easy. I just want to be honest. I think that, I think we talk about, it's so simple. All you got to do, all you got to just raise your hand or just, just, you know, accept the Lord into your heart. And that's true, except it's also not true. It's not that easy. And I think when we, when we act like it's easy and then people uh, start following the Lord and that's not their experience, like, man, this isn't easy. This is hard. You lied to me. I, I think we're doing people a disservice when we talk about how simple this is. This is not easy. Choosing the Lord, the choice, I guess, isn't that hard. The people show that, like, yeah, we're ready. And just like, ah, you're not. You don't know what you're getting into. Let me tell you, don't make this commitment lightly. This is important. Choosing God is important. It's not a flippant thing. Uh, it's serious stuff. Um, Joshua's warning sounds a lot to me like the beginning of the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 20, where, where God says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, or an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, there's the word, serve, abad, shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. The people have a choice to make, and it's an important choice. And they can't choose both. See, we like, we like to have our cake and eat it too. We like to, you know, we don't like to have our options limited. We like to keep our options open. And that's not what's going on here. God's pretty clear about there's no such thing as open options. You've got to make a choice. In the past, they worshipped idols. In the past, their ancestors, their history, their legacy, they worshipped idols. They also worshipped God. I mean, don't get me wrong. They, they, they worshipped God, but they also, they worshipped God and idols. They added these things to God. You know, yeah, this God, God is great, but I need to pray for rain over here to this other God. They would worship idols. Um, and, and here's the deal. This idol worship stuff is, is like a contract you're making. Like the idol, this, this little g-god, um, not capital G God, right? The little G God promises protection or a good harvest or whatever. Promises us something if we will then give something in return. It's like a bargain, right? So we give this in return. We bring our sacrifice. We bring our payment or whatever. And then we get the thing that we're looking for. And the thing is, I think we treat God that way a lot. Like, we treat God like, like people back then would treat idols. That we, we make these bargains. Anybody ever do this, make a bargain with God? Like, you promise you'll do something for him if he'll do something for you. I used to do this a lot when I was in school. Like, let me pass this test, and I'll pray, like, the whole month, every night. You know, like, we used to make these, I used to make these bargains, and, and my bargains have changed, um, but bargaining with God still happens if I'm not careful. Like, God, if you get me through this, I'll go back to church. God, if you, you know, if you answer this prayer, I'll read my Bible every day. We make these bargains, right? And the thing is, that's not a bod. 
That's not serve. Like choose this day who you will serve. It's not choose this day who you're going to make a bargain with and who you're going to have this like contract, who you're going to have this, this like interaction, this business transaction with. That's not serving. That's selfish is what it is. I mean, serving God is anything but selfish. But really, if you're bargaining with God, I'll do this for you if you do this for me, you're just being selfish. Joshua tells the people that God is holy and jealous. And now a holy God is one of a kind. Uh, we, come to, we come to a holy God on his terms when he allows it, and we make no demands. We, we don't get to make demands of a holy God. Uh, he is God. We are not. Uh, we do things his way. Um, and, don't, and don't force our will onto him. Now, and a jealous God kind of goes along with it. A jealous God doesn't tolerate it when we ignore his way of doing things and decide to do things on our own. A jealous God holds people accountable for their sinful actions. A jealous God doesn't just look the other way and be like, oh, isn't that cute? A jealous God, a holy God, uh, is a, a serious God. And that's, and that's why this is a serious choice. That's why we, we, we can't be flippant about this choice. You can dwell on your past. You can ignore your past. You can even try to run from your past, but eventually, eventually you will face a choice. A choice of how will I live from now on. This has happened to me. This is how I got here. Now what? And that choice is yours who will you serve moving forward? And just like their leader Joshua, the people uh, choose to serve the Lord. Uh, and Joshua then clearly points the way forward. After he gives them a warning uh, and kind of throws a wet blanket on it, they're like, no, we will. And he's like, okay, here's what needs to happen then. If that's your choice, in order to serve the Lord, you are going to have to throw away your foreign gods, and you're going to have to give your heart over to the God of Israel. Sounds easy enough, but uh, history has shown it's not that simple. Because there's no middle ground here. Uh, they can choose to serve other gods, or they can choose to serve Yahweh. Not both. If they choose God, the, the little g gods are gone. They, they have to be gone for good. They have to get rid of them. They have to put an end to it. If they choose the little g gods and they think, oh, I'll have it all, God will leave. And this is the story of the Old Testament where God's people constantly keep turning back to these idols and these little g gods and these less powerful gods and God constantly keeps giving them another chance. He constantly keeps reminding them of their past. And listen, it wasn't this statue that was there for you in Egypt, it was me. And the people are like, oh yeah, that's right, it was you. And so they turn back to God, but only for a time. And then they turn to idols again. And eventually God, after giving them their umpteenth chance, God says, this is what I said would happen. And God leaves the temple. God's presence departs from Israel. And God allows Israel to be taken over by foreign lands and taken into, into captivity because this is what he said would happen all along. You have to make a choice. And if you choose not God, then God has not guaranteed that he will just put up with it forever. Now, God is unlikely to just like smite you where you sit. I suppose he could. I mean, uh, there, are, there are stories, right? I would be kind of careful, but I, I suppose that could happen. Not likely. Not likely because 
really throughout scripture what we see is God lets you have what you choose. If, if you choose a sinful life, uh, God doesn't have to pile on extra punishment. That lifestyle brings its, its, own, its own form of punishment. If you choose a life apart from God, then, that, then you get what that life brings. Um, God doesn't have to pile on extra punishments. And, and this is kind of the story of, of Scripture. This is the story of God's people through, throughout the entire Old Testament. Um, you can't have both. God has this zero-tolerance policy when it comes to idols. You, you could say this is, a, this is a word that we don't like using because it's like uber negative, but I, I, you can't really get away from it. God is intolerant of idols. God is intolerant of other gods vying for your attention. God's not okay with, with you having like this, this smorgasbord buffet of all different things that you want to worship. It's him or it's other stuff, but it's not both. And, and, and incidentally, that hasn't changed. This, this zero tolerance policy toward idols is still God's policy. God still doesn't tolerate idols. We, I think we just have a harder time recognizing them. Like we don't go home and like, you know, sing to the, like a little statue. That I hope we don't go home and sing to a little statue that like you have on your mantle. Um, but, but our idols are different now and, and, and I think they're a little harder to recognize. And so how can you tell? How can you tell when something in your life has become a, a little G God, has become an idol? Well, I, there's a couple ways I think. If you willingly give something the authority to direct your choices in life, uh, I, I think it's become a God for you. Families fall into this, I think. Uh, when when uh, their kids' uh, schedules get busy, as their kids get older, uh, with practices and rehearsals and games and performances and trips and all these things that dictate to the family how they will spend every minute of every day, and they no longer have a choice in the matter, um, that can become an idol. That can become something that we end up worshiping. Uh, we worship all these activities and, and, and you know, our active schedules. We don't have any choice over our own calendar. Another indicator, I think, that something has become an idol in your life is when you follow it without even considering whether God has something to say about it. Um, I feel like politics has turned into this in, in our world where uh, we find ourselves devoted to the ideas of, of a political party uh, or the other political party um, without even really thinking, I wonder if God has something to say about this. Um, when, when, when we are devoted to something without even considering maybe God w w should weigh in on this, uh, I think that thing uh, can become an idol in our life. I think that's simple. The, really, the bottom line is this. If in any way, something plays a more important role in your life than God does, it's, it's dangerous. It could become an idol. This could be a spouse. This could be, you know, a significant other. This could be your children. This could be your job. If you allow something in your life to play a more consistently more significant role than God does, um, it, it, you're in danger of, of falling into this idolatry of worshiping that thing. And you might say, now wait a second, I would never worship anything besides God. Like, I get that my attention is split, but worship, I mean, like, who's writing songs about, you know, my family so that I can sing songs to my family about how devoted I am to them? Or like, my, my you know, my kid's football team. Like, I don't go to the football practice and like sing songs and like lift my hands and like, you know, like, I'm not worshiping my kid's activities. Okay, 
Okay, but, but worship really at its core means placing a high value on something and letting it direct your actions, right? It means it's, it, it, it's worth-ship, right? It means, it means something is worthy. You're allowing it to have the worth to, to, and you, you obey it in life. So can you think of anything like that? Anything in your life that you put a high value on to the point where uh, it can direct your actions? Okay, so maybe there's some of those things, but listen, I would never... I would never like bring offerings, right? My, my, my money, my stuff that's devoted to God. Really, you're telling me that you don't have things in your life that you spend significant amounts of money on that, that, that aren't kingdom related, because I do. I do. You know, I, I spend substantial amounts of money on Dunkin' Donuts coffee, you know, there are lots of things. <laughs> there are lots of things, right, that I spend lots of money on, and they're not related to God. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm saying think about that. Think about, you know, what are you bringing offerings to? You might think, okay, okay, fine. But it's my money. I can spend my money, and it's not, it's not really hurting anybody. I would never actually serve anyone besides God. But, but really, I mean, you, you devote the majority of your time and energy to, to God, to building his kingdom in the world, to, to drawing closer to him. Because if I'm honest, I don't. And I work here. Idolatry is alive and well. It's just as much of a problem today as it ever it was. And, and I think it's even harder to recognize. And so I'm, I'm gonna wrap up today by looking uh, at four idols that I see when I look at the world around me today. Now, the I think the main idol we worship, and this has always been the case, it's never changed throughout all history, is ourselves. The main idol that we worship is myself. I mean, not me. I don't think any of you worship me, but uh, yourself. You, you, we worship ourselves, right? We're obsessed with our own needs. We're obsessed with what we want and the way we want it done. And so we become self-absorbed and we become greedy. And we start to think that normal rules don't apply to us. Have you ever caught yourself like yelling at someone that like cut you off on the road only to realize that you're speeding like 10 miles an hour over the speed limit at the same time? but the rules don't apply to me. I mean, like, I can drive as fast as I want, but that person, like, they should definitely follow the rules of the road. The, the rules don't apply to me. We believe we deserve, we truly believe we deserve better things than other people. At the same time, we, we're desperate for other people to see us as important. Like, we think we deserve more than they do, but we also really want them to see us as, like, important. And I know we bag on social media a lot, and I really don't hate social, well, getting there, actually. Um, but I really don't hate social media. Um, but man, does social media ever feed this? This idol of self-worship, this me monster stuff that, I mean, like, when did the selfie thing become the, the only thing we ever take pictures of? We have to have ourselves in the picture. And like, it's, we need to get such a good angle that we've got the, a selfie stick. I have one, by the way. Selfie stick that's like up in the air. And you've seen this, right? And we gotta, we've got to take these pictures. And like, it's not good enough just to have, to have a picture of something amazing. We have to have us in the picture of something amazing and like half the time we don't even get the amazing thing in the back it's just us right it's like hey here I am at wherever I'm like where is it well, yeah well it's me right because we're, we're so self-absorbed 
And on social media, we can project whatever image we want. We can put the image out there of like, look at my perfect life and my perfect marriage and my perfect kids and my perfect friends and my perfect vacations. And, and <laughs> you know, you just choose the right filter and it's perfect. It looks like a dream. And if we're not careful, we become the center of our universe. We spend all our, all our time trying to act out the image that we're trying to put out there, the thing that we're trying to get other people to see in us. If we're not careful, we worship ourselves. I think another idol, and this is connected, I, I think another idol we struggle with is materialism. Um, this is another one that's not new. Jesus talked about this a lot, the dangers of money and stuff and how money can get in the way of serving God, but we still fall into the trap of thinking that all our needs can be met with money and that happiness and satisfaction come through financial success and having uh, lots of stuff. So we build uh, bigger and bigger houses uh, and more closets and more storage space to keep all the stuff that we buy, uh, stuff that we haven't even paid off yet because we're just buying it with our credit cards, stuff that's going to be obsolete in a couple years because the technology companies have figured out that if they make tech that isn't any good in a year and a half, we'll just buy the new version. And this desire, this, this unquenching desire for more has us all become collectors. We're constantly collecting money, uh, collecting stuff, collecting experiences. And we worship at the altar of the stock market. We worship uh, beside the pool and on vacation. And if we're not careful, we start worshiping our comfort instead of our God. It's just another manifestation of, of selfish. Now those two, those two are, you know, like I, I, can, I can see everybody. Oh yeah, self, materialism. Um, here's where I'm gonna lose some of you. <laughs> Memorial Day might, be, not, might not be the time to talk about this, but I'm going to. Nationalism is another idol that many people worship. Now listen, nationalism is different from being patriotic. Being patriotic is a good thing. It's a good thing to respect and admire the history and the culture and the achievements of your nation. The Bible commands us to be good citizens, to, to support worthy causes and promote the common good. But nationalism goes further than being patriotic. Nationalism insists that one nation, my nation, is greater than every other nation. And, and it deserves the unquestioning loyalty of all its people no matter what. When, when we start to value what the government can do and what the government can promise over what God can do and promise, we're on shaky ground. And as Christians, we can't afford to have blind faith in our country. That is idol worship. I've noticed a lot lately that Christians are putting politics and faith together. And that's a difficult path. Because what it ends up looking like most of the time is we rely on Jesus when it benefits us. And we rely on the government when we don't want to do the stuff that Jesus wants us to do. That's idolatry. That's combining this God with our God, and God won't have it. 
If we're not careful, our love for our country can drive out our love for other people and we, will, and we stop acting like Jesus in the world that we live in. And that's not okay. Now, as long as I'm being controversial, I might as well, I might as well go all the way here. Personal safety. Here's my fourth one. Personal safety has become, I think, one of the biggest idols of our time. Now listen, as a father of two kids, I'm not in favor of like reckless abandon. <laughs> we'll go run out and play in the street, right? That's ridiculous. Personal safety isn't, is not unimportant. I'm the youth minister. I work, I work with students. I am concerned for your kids' safety. Uh, we don't play. Uh, I once heard of a, this is crazy. I once heard of a youth, this is a true story. I heard of a youth minister who, who played a game of volleyball where he doused the volleyball net in gasoline and set it on fire. And then they played volleyball. That's ridiculous. That's reckless. That's clearly something you shouldn't do. That's not what I'm talking about. I want to take steps. I want my family to be safe. I want the students that I work with to be safe, especially in the world that we live in. In this world that we live in where, where it seems like we, there, there's another school shooting every couple of weeks, it's terrifying, and I want my family to be safe. But listen, Jesus tells us to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, and it is wise to take safety, and to, to take safety precautions. It is wise to be careful. It is wise in your church, in your home, with your kids. It's wise to teach them not to touch a hot stove. It's wise to put up boundaries. That's wise. But when we promote security at any cost, we turn our own safety into the thing that we worship. We need to balance our desire for safety against the values that we're called to live out as followers of Jesus. Jesus calls us to things like hospitality and welcoming the stranger and casting out fear with love and radically loving our enemies. See, Jesus was never afraid of violence. He wasn't afraid of brokenness. He wasn't afraid of sinful people that society was afraid of. Jesus ran to those people. And listen, we can't turn our homes and our churches into bunkers where we hide from a scary world because Jesus never called us to be safe. Jesus called us to be faithful. And, if, and being faithful to Jesus means we love everyone God puts in our path. Imagine if Jesus worshiped the idol of safety. Imagine he never left his synagogue in Galilee because he wanted to study the Torah in peace. He wanted to be isolated from the violence of the world. What would your life be like if Jesus worshiped safety? If we're not careful, we will elevate our own safety above God's mission and God's kingdom. And that's not okay. That's idolatry. So choose this day who you will serve. You can serve God or you can serve you. I mean, honestly, that's really what the choice comes down to. You can serve your safety, your comfort, your ideas, but you can't serve both. If you choose God, you do things his way, not your way. If you choose to worship an idol, don't complain when it fails to give you what you need in life. You've made your choice. 
Only God can truly give you what you need, but you have to make the difficult choice to serve him. Serving Jesus starts with choosing him as Lord and master of your life. I talked earlier about how we make it simple all the time. Partly it is. Uh, choosing to make Jesus your Lord uh, it is relatively simple. But it also means believing what Jesus said enough to actually live by his teachings. And that's where it gets not so simple. In order to believe what Jesus really said, you actually have to know what he said. So, so you're gonna have to read and study your Bible. And as you read and study your Bible, you'll start coming across these ideas like caring for other believers and loving our enemies and putting God's kingdom first in your life. Uh, and those things are not optional when you choose to serve Jesus. And more than just believing what Jesus said, choosing to serve him means doing what Jesus did. It means following his example and living like he did and choosing like he did. He, he did a lot of good in the lives of ordinary people. He helped people to heal and he showed them a God that loves them unconditionally. He didn't ignore their sin, but he also didn't define people by their sin either. Uh, when, he saw, when he looked at people, he saw people. He didn't just see their sins. And choosing Jesus also means sharing in his suffering. See, I told you it wasn't simple. The hurts and the pains that, that come as consequences of faithful obedience to following Jesus, and they will come. Think about where you've been in your life. Think about how far you've come to the place you are right now. Think about your past and where you are right now. Who, who's been there? Who has been there when you've needed it most? Has it been Has it been money? or comfort, or safety? Or, or has it been a God who loves you and calls you to a life of serving something bigger than yourself? We all have a choice to make. Will you serve God, or will you serve the idols from your past? Let's pray. God, this is difficult. Serving you is difficult because you, you demand exclusive devotion. And we don't want to give exclusive devotion. We want to keep our options open. We want, we want, we want Jesus, but we also, we also want our comfort and our safety. We want our, our money and our stuff. And God, I thank you that you've not called us to lives of poverty, to give everything up and never have anything. Uh, I, I'm thankful that what you've called us to are lives of service and devotion to you, where we trust that you take care of all of our other needs and desires and wants because you love to pour blessings into our lives. If we choose you, and put you first. So God, give us the strength. Give us the strength to make a choice. Give us the clarity to look back over our past and realize it's you who've been there all along. And give us the strength to choose you. To choose this day, this moment, right now, that it's you we'll serve. As we move forward, that you will be our God and no other. Because Jesus, you're worth it. 
deserve it. You've proven time and time again that you are God alone. It's in Jesus' name. If you'd like someone to pray with this morning, there'll be a couple people up here at the front as we stand and uh, sing this song of response to God.